Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, The Black Cat by Edgar Allan Poe, first published in the August 19th, 1843 edition of the Saturday Evening Post. It wasn't called the Saturday Evening Post at the time it was published, but it is the same magazine. Um, this is maybe, I think it might be the most famous Poe short story, and it may be the most famous short story of all time, actually. Uh, one of my favorite websites, LibriVox, their very first collection of short stories, the very first story in that very first collection is The Black Cat, and it has been subsequently recorded by probably dozens of people for for LibriVox and, you know, there's a, probably two dozen versions on YouTube and I think everybody reads this story in school, but uh, I was reading it the other day and it, it quite surprised me, even though uh, I'm quite familiar with it. So I thought it would make some meaty discussion for us today. I think that's a great idea. I've often thought that one of the reasons that people like recording the black cat is that it's a first person narrator who is not trustworthy. Mm -hmm. And so it, it gives the voice actor um, a really interesting challenge trying to sound sensible and rational as that narrator tells us he is being, and yet with enough of an edge in the voice so that the, the listener or in the case of the original audience of Poe's work, the reader, is able to understand that this is not really rational. It's not really calm. Something else is going on here. That, that duality uh, makes for a very subtle story, and it shows a lot about the subtle skill of Poe. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And it has, uh, you know, he, he does this in other stories. This story has so many elements that are mirrored in his other you know short stories that sometimes it's easy to confuse which ones you know have the the telltale heart and and the cask of amontillado which, uh, i mean they kind of all share sort of the same thing and i think uh having a precy just a little brief discussion of what the actual plot of this will help us um see those comparisons and also uh, maybe remind the listener what 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 this story is about, as opposed to the Cask of Amontillado or the Telltale Heart, which are pretty, you know, to my mind, very similar uh, veins in the same mine. Sounds good. Proceed. All right. So uh, the Black Cat has an unnamed narrator who uh, tells his his uh, tells us his most homely narrative, which is uh, how he ended up on death row in prison about to be hung the next day and he proceeds to tell the story of how when he was a child he was a very kind and um, loving person especially fond of animals his parents indulged him he grew up with this he found a wife who uh, was equally indulgent to animals and they they collected a bunch of them including a monkey rabbits a, a very nice dog and a black cat um, but drink he was driven to drink somehow he was a drinker and he ends up changing his character uh attacking his cat 
eventually trying to kill his cat and uh, instead kills his wife, who he proceeds to wall up in the basement and um, subsequently be discovered uh, of his murder and puts him back in the same situation where we find him at the beginning of the story, confessing his, uh, his, the series of events, the consequences that have terrified, tortured, and destroyed him. Um, I, I guess I sped through the plot there, but <laughs> I think we'll go into more, some, some more detail uh, as we go. What, what do you think? What did I leave out? Well, I think, uh, one thing that's significant is that there are two title cats in the cat in it's true in, in the story at least two. Um, one is the cat he has at first, which is entirely black, and which we're told is named Pluto. Mm-hmm. And the second is a cat that he um, somehow sees when no one else does on a cask of either gin or rum. Um, in one of those places of more than infamy that he inhabits because uh, the spirit of intemperance drives him there. Um, and that cat is, uh, forgive the pun, a dead ringer for Pluto, um, <laughs> except that it has uh, in odd white hairs on most of its breast. And over time, those hairs become more and more distinctly visible as indeed a perfect image of the gallows and since uh our narrator had hanged the first pluto um one could think of that second pluto as uh fortuitous accidental a homely incident as we're told in the first line um or it could be a projection on the part of the narrator or it could be a ghost and since the name of the cat is Pluto, of the first cat, and Pluto is the god of the underworld, it could be a devil actually sent to torment the narrator. That's what he would like us to believe. He calls the cat at the end of the arch fiend. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe that's just what he wants to believe himself. I think Poe wants us to see a lot that the narrator either doesn't see or is uh, hiding. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, if, if I may, um, there is a, a paragraph in, in this that I think I've never seen mentioned in the criticism, but um, I think it, it tells us something about the subtlety of this, this story. So, as you said, he almost kills, the narrator almost kills Pluto. Uh, what he does is he takes out a penknife and he he. he, he gets his eye out, right? But but uh, pretty soon thereafter, although the cat uh, fears him um, and stays away from him, he doesn't seem to be suffering. So then eventually he hangs him, right? He hangs the cat. Um, we go on more about the hanged cat who figures in the story um, later on. But one night returning home much intoxicated from my haunt, one of my haunts about town, I love the fact that he <laughs> says that he's haunting, so maybe he's a devil too. I fancied that the cat avowed, avoided my presence. I fancied it. So he's imagining it. Mm-hmm. So I seized him when in his fright at my violence, he inflicted a slight wound upon my hand with his teeth. The fury of a demon instantly possessed me. This is absolutely typical of our narrator. 
It's not that he got angry. Something mm-hmm. else did it to him. He's victim, victim, victim all the time. Never guilty. I knew myself no longer. My original soul seemed at once to take flight from its uh, take its flight from my body, and a more than fiendish malevolence, gin nurtured, thrilled every fiber of my frame. And here's the part that I think shows how smart Poe mm. is. I took from my waistcoat pocket a penknife, opened it, grasped the poor beast by the throat, and deliberately cut one of its eyes from the socket. I blush, I burn, I shudder while I pen the damnable atrocity. Yeah, I noticed that pun that comes right after. And I, he says, I blush, I burn, I shudder while I pen the damnable atrocity. Uh, he seems to be enjoying writing it down, though, you know? Oh, he does. I mean, it sounds almost orgasmic. It's he, he's totally reliving it. Yes, absolutely. The, the particular pun that I was after, I don't know if this is the one you had in mind, Jesse, is that the narrator, who cannot stand being avoided by the animal, takes out a penknife and cuts out one of his eyes. Then he tells us the story. While I, I blush, I burn, I shudder, while I pen... Yep. The damnable atrocity. So, in fact, what Poe is letting us know is that in the mode of its telling, the narrator is half blinding us. Mm. The narrator does not want us to see fully what actually is happening. So that that penknife, in fact, works twice. Mm-hmm. It works to blind Pluto. And it works to blind us because a penknife, after all, is what's used to sharpen a quill so that you can then make it effective as an instrument of writing. Um, And I think Poe absolutely understands this because he's controlled the narration gorgeously throughout so that we will know more than the narrator wants us to know where he's trying to. That is, the narrator is trying to half blind us. But Poe wants us to see the whole story. Mm -hmm. And that tension between the two is extraordinary art. Indeed. It it goes right back to that very first line again, right? For the most wild yet most homely narrative which I'm about to pen. Yes. Neither expect nor solicit belief. And and then he does this thing where he says uh, there's a line in here that I think is inviting the reader to question everything about this story and i just love this it goes like this hereafter perhaps some intellect may be found which will reduce my phantasm to the commonplace some intellect more calm more logical and far less excitable than my own which will perceive in the circumstances i detail with awe nothing more than an ordinary succession of very natural causes and effects Clearly, the man is lying, whether he's lying only to himself or or to us is is a question we can keep open. But clearly, he's lying. Yeah. On on another level, though, I, I, I I've read this story, you know, as I said, many times over the years. And it just it occurred to me only recently how big a role the alcohol as the blame 
takes. I mean, I know that it's all throughout the story. Everybody knows that. They've read the story. Um, when the, the second cat appears, it appears on a hogshead of gin or a rum um, in a tavern or a place of ill repute in which um, that is the sole furniture. Right? <laughs> he's hanging out in uh, a bar where he's just surrounded by alcohol. And it, it occurred to me in a recent reading that one way of reading this story is is a satire on on the temperance movement. If if I if you go through and you just sort of look for the word temper temperament or temperance or intemperance, it comes up again and again and again. And he he tells us him himself that the reason his nature changed so much was because of his uh, addiction to alcohol. He doesn't actually use the word addiction, but he does call it a sickness. And it it seems very modern. You know, alcohol alcoholism as a disease is a modern thing. It's not from this period. And yet the roots and the problems of alcoholism in society are from the period in which Poe's writing. Gin is his his alcohol and he says it was you know he was gin nurtured his intemperance um i i've I picked out a few of them here and i just wanted to point to them um so here's one paragraph our friendship lasted in a manner for several years during which my general temperament and character through the instrumentality of the fiend intemperance had i blush to confess experienced a radical alteration for the worse he became a worse person. It's all because of alcohol, right? I grew day by day more moody, more irritable, more regardless of the feelings of others. And then here's an, another really great line. I suffered myself to use intemperate language to my my wife. Oh, how, how upsetting. And then the next line, at length I even offered her personal violence. <laughs> Would you like some personal violence? <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is a very calm way of saying he beat his wife right yes and then at the end of this paragraph he says it's not it's not because i wanted to do this he says my disease grew upon me for what disease is like alcohol and he uses an exclamation point in the middle of the sentence this is i think another invitation to read that line again right hereafter perhaps some intellect may be found which will reduce my phantasm right the the witch cat the uh, fiend from hell that's infected his soul right right will reduce my phantasm to the commonplace some intellect more calm more logical and far less excitable than my own which will perceive in the circumstances I detail without nothing more than an ordinary succession of very natural causes and effects. I think that this story might be, uh, not maybe for us, but for the contemporary reader, a very wry satire of the demon alcohol. This t growing temperance movement uh, that would eventually uh, go to the prohibition experiment. I think that you're right. The uh, the story is letting us know, despite the fact that the criticism of alcohol is in the mouth of um, an unworthy individual, that alcohol is a big problem. 
I think, though, that as we know today from Alcoholics Anonymous, um, as we know from uh, even in the 19th century, um, when people were told that they should do X or Y in order to um, improve their health, uh, move to Arizona for your tuberculosis, whatever, uh, the fact that something is a disease does not exonerate one from dealing with it. Mm-hmm. One may deal with it unsuccessfully, but what our narrator is doing here, and this is why I think you are right that this could be thought of um, as as engaged in the uh, the growing temperance movement, what our narrator is doing is saying it's all alcohol's fault, mm-hmm. as if people have no say whatsoever in what they do. And we do know that there are people who are alcoholics True. who, after all, simply make it a matter of discipline not to ever touch a drop. This fellow, instead of doing that, says, well, you know, since I'm sick, don't blame me. And that line that you uh, that you just gave us, I suffered myself to use intemperate language to my wife. Mm-hmm. He suffered how about her suffering from the intemperate language, the alcohol-driven language? He makes himself out to be the victim again and again and again. I suffered myself and forgets about his wife. I think, yeah. I think perhaps for me, the most startling um, silence in this novel, novel, excuse me, in this short story, is the one that has to do with the actual murder of the wife. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a long paragraph. Um, I don't think I should read all of it, um, but um, but it, it's long. One well, one day she, uh, the wife, accompanied me upon some household errand into the cellar of the old building, which our poverty compelled us to inhabit. Well, mm-hmm. you know, it's not poverty doing it to you, man. You burned down your house because you were drunk. Right. It's your it's your habit that anyway, but he's always making something else the blame. The mm-hmm. old building which our poverty compelled us to inhabit. The cat followed me down the steep steps and nearly throwing me headlong exasperated me to madness. Uplifting an axe, which I guess <laughs> I guess, I don't know why he's got Just some base to be hand. Sure. Um, uplifting an axe and forgetting in my wrath. Right. So it's don't blame me. It's my wrath. The childish dread which had hitherto stayed my hand. I see if I were more mature, I would have killed long ago. Mm -hmm. Right. I aimed a blow at the animal, which, of course, would have proved instantly fatal had it descended as I wished. But this blow was arrested by the hand of my wife, goaded by the interference into a rage more than demoniacal. See, it's her fault, right? Mm -hmm. She interfered, she goaded him, not his fault. I withdrew my arm from her grasp and buried the ax in her brain. She fell dead on the spot without a groan. This hideous murder accomplished, I set myself forthwith. (laughs) Well, so I take a look at this. We've got this long paragraph about how he feels about going down into the basement and from the word buried, buried the ax in her brain until the word accomplished, this hideous murder accomplished. The entire story that he tells us 
of murdering his wife and what he feels afterwards is 19 words. Mm-hmm. 19 words. This fellow doesn't have a single syllable to feel bad about having killed someone who tried to make him feel good by buying him pets from the moment that they got married. Mm-hmm. It's that kind of silence that Poe is trying to make sure that we read, that we read not only the words, but the non-words, the things that are omitted. He really is trying to assume that a reader can be trained to read deeply, and the more deeply one can read, the more complicated, dense, rich a sense of the character one can gain from the reading. This is a brilliant story, not simply in telling the story of one crazy guy. It's a brilliant story about writing brilliant stories and learning from them. Mm-hmm. There's a um, there's a little uh, there's almost nothing from the wife, and to me, uh, I pointed this out to my students recently that if you if you see what the wife says, imagine her husband's coming home from his debaucheries, from his dens of infamy. No, from more than in dens from of more than infamy every night, completely soused, um, bringing random cats home. <laughs> Or maybe not. Um, she should have some vo- opinions about this. <laughs> you know, when he burns the house down, which we presume he's the one who did it, um, he doesn't say anything about that particular matter. He isn't particularly interested in how it happened, in fact. Um, she should have some opinions about this. The only opinion in the entire story that we are given about her is very interesting and it is the point at which uh he's talking about the cat it's all he's obsessed with this cat right he's it it is literally an obsession in the same way that uh other characters are obsessed with other things in other stories by his hand uh, that is poe's hand this this story is called the black cat because he's obsessed with this cat so he says about this cat the uh, original one. This latter was a remarkably large and beautiful animal, entirely black and sagacious to an astonishing degree. In speaking of his intelligence, my wife, and here's finally an opinion from his wife, who at heart was not a little tinctured with superstition, made frequent allusion to the ancient popular notion which regarded all black cats as witches in disguise. Not that she was ever serious upon the point. And I mention that matter at all for no better reason than it happens just now to be remembered. <laughs> and at the very beginning of the story, he said, I will not include anything in this series of events that is of unimportance. But right now, I will just mention this because it happens to be remembered. His wife thinks that and I like that it's described this way. Her heart was not a little tinctured with superstition. That means she was very superstitious uh, and made frequent allusion to the ancient popular notion which regarded all black cats as witches. And then the very next line, not that she was ever serious upon this point. <laughs> um, what the hell is he saying about his wife's opinion? 
She's very strongly opinionated about this, but she wasn't actually serious. Well, he's clearly lying again. Um, we know that because if we're rereading the story and it's a rereading for you and me and and for anybody who is strongly affected by the story, one at least rereads it mentally after having read it even the first time. Uh, you, what do you mean you mention it because it happens to occur to you? In mm -hmm. fact, one of the things that happens in this story is something that is fantastic. That is the 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 fire leads the narrator to a discovery on the only wall left standing in the plaster is a bar relief that is the exact image of the cat that he had already hanged Pluto um, and we I think we know that this is for real because the narrator tells us that after the fire he comes to look at the ruins and he hears the neighbors saying strange how odd and it's only then that he looks and sees what they are looking at which is this bar relief which he then goes on and explains and again one of these ridiculous ideas that chain of events that he calls logical now there is something that i call a hierarchy of authority in in uh, narrative if a character is untrustworthy then whatever that character, um, if narrator is untrustworthy, whatever that narrator tells us, we have to think twice about it. Mm -hmm. However, since in a first person narrative, which this is, everything comes through that narrator, how do we know what to make of anything? Well, there is this, as I say, a hierarchy. If an individuated character says something, it's less trustworthy than if a crowd says it. Right. If you get direct report, it's more trustworthy than if you get indirect report. Um, you know, if I say, um, if my friend says, boy, that woman is really hot. And I say to you, my friend said, that woman is really hot. My report is more trustworthy than if I said to you, my friend told me he had the hots for that woman. Mm. Because then I'm giving it an interpretation, even though I'm telling you what he said. Indirect report is not as reliable as direct report. Crowd mm. responses are more reliable than individual responses. Setting is more reliable than action. Right. right? And so what we have here is a story in which the, the crowd lets us know there really is this extraordinary bar relief. Right. It really did happen. And OK. So what, what's the chain of events that led to this bizarre thing? Oh, yes, they came outside. They tried to wake us because of the fire. They tried to wake me, excuse me, he says, because of the fire. Since they didn't succeed, they looked around. They found a cat hanging from the branch. They cut it down and threw it through the window, probably <laughs> trying to wake me up. And that's how it got stuck in the wet plaster. Oh, yeah, that's logical. Yeah. Now start thinking about the other things that aren't said. He was drunk. We get that. That's why he couldn't be roused by a mere cry of fire, a, a cry that must have been loud enough to assemble an entire group of neighbors. And yet he, being closest to it, was not aroused. Right. But why wasn't his wife aroused by the cry? Mm. Was it that he had beat her and beaten her into unconsciousness, wife beater that you have figured out that he probably is? Had he, in fact, kept her quiet? Had she set the fire? Mm. And left, hoping to finally get away from this this incredible, abusive, wife-beater, animal killer. 
This is, after all, the same day that he's just killed the animal. Maybe she fled and wasn't even there because he doesn't say that they're trying to wake us. He says they're trying to wake me, of course, being the egotist that he is. Who knows? You said in the beginning that this story was much like some other stories of Poe's. And I would like to make one distinction here. Um, If we read The Telltale Heart, a story also that ends with the narrator uh, having such bravado that, um, well, there he he hears the heart beating under the floorboards and yells out, all right, all right, that terrible heart. And it's his expostulation that gets the investigating police to open the floorboards and find the evidence of the murder. Here it's bravado. But if we read the telltale heart, um, as the statement of another untrustworthy narrator who walls somebody up, or floorboards in that case, um, as only projection as only projection, we've naturalized the whole story. You can read the telltale heart as if it were in fact realistic, just that its narrator is is crazy. But because of this episode with the bar relief, this story cannot be read as if it's completely realistic. That's right. There is something fantastic here. And what our narrator would like us to have after he half blinds us with his penknife, what he would like us to have is a belief that The fantastic here came and attacked him, whereas I believe that Poe wants us to understand that the fantastic reveals the man's real guilt, that Mm -hmm. we're getting poetic justice at the end of this story. And both the realistic world and the fantastic world conspire to make order, at least in fiction, which is the great refuge for a man like Poe with an incredibly troubled life. But there's always more to say. <laughs>